This podcast is also brought to you by Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is so easy to use. It's simple, it's fast, it's effective. It's the easiest way to distribute your podcast to every major platform and in the quickest way. I've gone through other websites to host podcasts, and it's a pain in the butt. Anchor does it for you. Join Anchor.fm and do your podcast the right way. And if you're looking to start a podcast, contact one of us at ATV Sports, as we're looking for podcasters for nearly every professional sports team right now. If you think you'd be a good fit, you can also apply at our website, www.atbsports.net. The first thing I want to ask you, Brent, uh, the trade, you know, something that was rumored throughout which, uh, Cleveland Twitter is pretty crazy. And, uh, and it was rumored, and then all of a sudden it was just like kind of out of nowhere, even though it had been rumored. It was about a month later, you, everyone starts getting notifications from Bleacher Report ESPN that. You know, the Browns got Odell, and my first reaction was only a first-round pick and Jabril Peppers, who was a good player, but isn't Odell. So I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on, you know, did the Giants win that trade? Did the Browns win that trade? Did they both win? Just kind of how you feel about that. I think that it's really easy to say that the Browns won the trade at this point, just when you look at what uh, the Giants, I mean, you don't. You shouldn't really look at it as what they did with the picks, I guess, because you know there's an opportunity cost with any pick, and you know the players that they decide to take aren't necessarily the same players the Browns would have taken with those picks. But um, yeah, I mean, the 17th pick and that late third rounder that they gave up, as well as Peppers. I mean, that's one solid starter in my opinion, and then that, and then you hope that you get a solid starter with one of those other two picks. But you know, there's. Yeah also a decent likelihood that both those picks don't pan out. And then obviously if those two picks both turn into studs, then that's, I mean, that could happen, but it's a lower likelihood, I guess, if you just look at the percentages on players that are taken in the middle of the first round and the late third round. So yeah, I think process wise, the Browns, it's easy to look at the trade and just say that, yeah, they, they won from a talent standpoint because we know that Odell Beckham jr. Is a hall of fame type talent. Um, especially at a valuable position like wide receiver in the modern game. Um, I think that clearly they wanted to get rid of him more for like, you know, just issues they had with stuff that he does off the field and that yeah. type of thing, which, which is not uh, really, I don't think it's too big of a problem. I think the bigger issue is probably just management um, yeah. being open to players that have personalities and allowing yeah. players to thrive in the environment. So um, yeah, I like I like the trade for the Browns. I think that for the Giants, they took big major steps backwards, especially with bringing in a rookie quarterback the same year that they got rid of him. Um, I don't think that ground and pound the way that they seem like they want to do it with you know Barkley uh, with the offense revolving around a running back. I don't think that that's really conducive to winning in the modern game. Um, no. So yeah, I think the Giants took step back steps backwards, and I think the Browns took huge steps forward. Yeah, I th- think you mentioned it there a second at the rookie quarterback for the Giants, and I don't want to harp on the Giants, but one thing that I don't think is being considered a lot is that you, you get rid of Odell, who has, he might not be 
the biggest receiver, but he has one of the biggest catch. You have Eli, Daniel Jones, Eli Manning, second coming, hopefully, for the Giants. Uh, so you have Daniel Jones, not an accurate quarterback in college, and then you get rid of seamlessly catch passes anywhere in his facility. I just, yeah, I, th- I, th- I agree with uh, with the pick thing as well. I understand that picks um, on their rookie deals are cheaper, and you want to save money when you can. But like you alluded to, a first round, mid first round pick or a Hall of Fame type talent, it's pretty easy to decide who you would want to get. Um, yeah, so, can I just add another thing on that? Um, absolutely. Another, yeah, another point yeah, is just. The Giants, with making that trade, there was just so much dead money that they, you know, they had to pay him so much money <laughs> on that deal already um, with all the upfront money that they gave Odell and everything. So the Browns really made out with the trade, you know, it was a steal for them because the contract, a lot of that money upfront was already paid a year before yeah. they made the trade. So yeah, that's just another way that the Browns just absolutely destroyed the Giants on this trade. Yeah. And if, if Odell is um, for some reason okay with taking that, I think next uh, like 2020 he starts making like 16 million a year. If he's okay with only making that and not wanting to be the highest paid receiver, I think 16 million for Odell is beyond a steal, mm-hmm. uh, especially with a young quarterback like Baker. Yeah, I agree. I th- I think that um, I think there's a good chance that they stay together for as long as Odell can run. That's the way that I put it recently, yeah. like to my dad, because he's a Browns fan and he's like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, in a couple of years, because he's still kind of negative just from all the losing. And he uh, he was just like, oh, well, how long is he actually going to be around? You know, what about when they get rid of him next year? And I'm like, no way. Like, that's not going to happen. It's it's going to be a situation where I think they try to t- to keep Mayfield and Beckham together for as long as Odell is a top receiver, they're going to try to make those guys uh, play together in Cleveland. Yeah. you. It's been, I, in my lifetime, it hasn't, I mean, only 21 years old, but it, the Browns have never had players like this. You know, I have to talk to my dad to talk about a star Browns player outside of Joe Thomas, a left tackle. And you have two players at two such, uh, I don't know, no prime positions, I guess. Quarterback mm-hmm. being the most important. Wide receivers in today's like just this upcoming age group of kids, they want the, I guess, quote, sexy positions. And you have two of the, you know, more popular players at those positions. You have to keep them around. And more importantly than the popularity, there, Baker looks like he's on a trajectory to be great, and Odell is. Great. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think the Browns are in a unique position where they have a top, you know, potential top quarterback, top wide receiver, a top pass rusher, or two. Because, I I mean, I hold Vernon in a really high esteem as well. I think he's a very good player that's getting underrated just because he's the second rusher on this team. And also, you know, a lot of the new data that's come out in the past couple of years has showed that uh, coverage and the cornerback position are so valuable in the modern game and actually – more va- more valuable than pass rush, according to a lot of smart people, um, especially at Pro Football Focus and other places. So, you know, having Denzel Ward as well at that super valuable position, adding Greedy Williams, I think the Browns are well stocked at a lot of the most valuable positions in the modern game. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely are. And yeah. well, uh, 
I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Vernon, uh, I think people have him plagued as injury-prone, and when a guy gets money, they expect him to play more than the money. Vernon's played great, Browns fans. He's not injury-plagued. He I think the past two years, he's missed like uh, four games each season, maybe five games each season. And this might not be the right mindset to have, but if you're playing for the Giants, who are dead in the water, and you have it nagging, I if I were a player, you know, and folks on making a, a life out of it I'd probably sit too if I had nothing playing for but, but and we'll get to those guys later because they're I think he's a great addition and like you said being underlooked uh but I kind of want to talk about Baker Mayfield so we've been talking about Oda and Brown, Browns fans understand the moxie and all, all those intangibles that Baker Mayfield has but on the field his his accuracy is it didn't show last year in his rookie season which i think has a lot, a lot to do with you know just just rookie just the stuff you get used to and uh i with baker showed in college and you guys at pro football focus use accuracy in college i guess i listen to you guys' youtube channel i mean just great stuff way to learn about football and we've never seen odell quarterback here as baker and i just what you think yeah what, what um, big to maybe sell odell oh yeah um so i just think that if you look at the way that like eli manning has played especially the past few years um and compare yeah. him to baker yeah. mayfield what he showed at not only the college level obviously but what he did as a rookie which is most important um i think that the accuracy just from both players isn't even comparable um, Baker can make throws all over the field that Eli Manning wouldn't even attempt because he just doesn't have that arm strength anymore. Um, there's just so much that Baker can do, especially like on scramble drills, which a lot of times turn into huge plays uh, where Odell's going to be able to, you know, extend his route, create separation once Baker breaks out of the pocket or, uh, you know, breaks a tackle in the pocket and mm-hmm. moves up. He, he's just able to extend the play in so many ways that like Eli is not able to at this point. Uh, there's just a lot of unique things that Baker can do as well as the fact that like, like on slant routes, for example, Odell is one of the best on slant routes. I mean, he's, I think is great on slants has been the highest in the league last year, maybe, maybe the past few years, maybe since he came in the league even. And I know that Baker was one of the best at throwing slant routes last year as well. Um, Odell can just, if you hit him in stride, he can take it the distance on any play. He just has that, that level of explosiveness. Um, I think that, like something that actually I noticed on social media last week, I almost tweeted it. I decided not to just because some pe- sometimes people think it's kind of kind of corny when people say this type of stuff. But as a coach, uh, watching Odell in practice, like watching him in those clips at OTAs, the way that he works after the catch, like every time he gets the ball on his hands, he's constantly fighting and accelerating up the field and getting those extra yards where sometimes receivers catch the ball and they know that they have gotten tapped or, you know, yeah. If you get tagged off in practice, then it's basically like getting tackled. So they just stop there. But you watch him in practice, the way that he accelerates after the catch and fights for those extra yards. And it's like, no wonder this guy's so amazing after the catch and something that young wide receivers at the high school level or whatever, those guys should all be watching those practice clips of him because it's pretty incredible watching that effort from a star player trying to get better and constantly building those good habits. Um, Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think it all it all translates on the field, and those guys have a chance to do something special because the accuracy combined with the like you alluded to the catch radius and the ability to catch any ball and take it the distance after the catch. It's just it's a perfect marriage. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and and I think after the one handed catch, the first thing I personally think of with Odell is just. He always puts the ball in his right or left hand, and which I don't love. But like you said, he's always exploding down the field. And the first thing, OBJ, it's the one-handed catch. And then after that, it's just all the yards after catches. You know, he's like Jarvis where he can dance around. But, he, I mean, Jarvis doesn't have nearly the speed or the acceleration to break away with the yards after the catch. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a perfect marriage. Just – the slant route you got uh pff brought up that slant route comparison and it's just it really starts to make browns fans happy for a change in the offseason i I kind of talk about um what what you think personally odell can do for the rest of the gang like a callaway and a higgins and a landry and joku not only on the field, like what will he open up coverage-wise, but also if you think he'll uh, be able to, if there's anyone similar to him on that team and if he can help them, like, you know, learn new concepts or ways to get, like, just stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I think with his route nuance and the way that he runs runs routes and the way that he can snatch the ball with his hands, I think watching watching him practice every day, being in the meeting room with him every day, watching film of practice, watching film of games, I mean, that's going to benefit the entire room, watching someone like that and watching the way they work. Um, You hear players, you know, that have played in the NFL in the past and even now, they talk about sometimes, like, playing with those guys that are really special talents and watching those guys, like the work that they put in day to day, um, you know, that, that can really benefit those players from just the standpoint of like learning the nuances and what little things go into what make that player great. And I think that'll help, especially like, you know, you mentioned if there's like one guy that that could help, I think Callaway stands out as someone that really has to focus on those fine details of the position going into the, this upcoming season. Um, I think there were times last year where he was just kind of getting by on just his like special speed and talent, yeah. you know, just natural ability rather than like some of the craftiness that like someone like Higgins has, you know, if you put those two guys together, you'd have a pretty incredible player because they kind of have what the other player lacks. Um, exactly. And I think that like Callaway especially can learn a lot being behind Odell Beckham, probably at X, you know, they're, they're obviously going to play together a good amount too. I think that the plan probably is going to be like Callaway rotates in uh, basically anywhere at any time and can feast on corners, uh, you know, that might be tired of, uh, He'll come in fresh off the bench, and he'll play a lot, I think. I think Higgins will actually start probably at Z as just a steady possession guy that has a ton of chemistry with with Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, Landry's going to play a ton. Uh, he'll be in the slot when they're in 11 personnel. When they have only two wide receivers on the field and Landry's in, I think he'll be, you know, he'll be at Z in those times. And Odell will be at X more, but they're going to move them all around. I think what, you know, what Odell does for those guys is obviously defenses have to account for him at all times. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're going to have to give extra attention to whoever's covering him. So that really helps the players like Landry and Higgins, especially 
because they'll be able to feast in the underneath intermediate level of the field. Uh, Najoku as well, I think, and even Demetrius Harris. And, and then with Callaway, the more that he gets better at, at the underneath stuff, the more that his game will really open up and he'll get more opportunities at all levels. Um, but I think that there's going to be some really, really fun things that they can do when, like, if they go heavy, like with um, 12 personnel, for example, or, thir- uh, yeah, with 12 personnel, I'll say. And so that's one running back, two tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, the first number is the number of running backs. Second number is the number of tight ends. And you put maybe Callaway in at X and you slide OBJ over to Z. Um, you can do huh. some really creative things off play action with Callaway's speed down the field as a deep threat. Uh, yeah. I think of what the Rams do a lot with, you know, when they don't always go heavy personnel with it, but they run so much uh, like cross plays where there's a deep a post route and then a crossing uh-huh. route from the other side. You take the top off with Callaway, make him take the corner and safety out of the picture, and you have OBJ run that deep crossing route. You're going to have a lot of big-time opportunities, and you can do the opposite, obviously, as well, with OBJ taking the top off, too. So there's a lot of creative things that they can do with this personnel group, and OBJ is going to attract a ton of attention, and it's going to be on Mayfield to you know, not force him the ball. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think he's the type of quarterback, thankfully, that does – try to find the open man and he knows when to get it to his uh you know his top guy but there were times last year early in the season where Mayfield sometimes forced it to Landry I would say that might have been more by design but but as the season went on when the offense was rolling we saw him spread it around to the entire uh skill group so it's gonna be a lot of fun with this group cross pattern like the Rams do or just any deep ball in general you know, you, PFF, you guys graded Baker Mayfield as the third best deep ball accuracy thrower last year. So uh, it's just Baker and OBJ matches almost too well. It's a little scary. But uh, I kind of want to talk about Jarvis. Obviously, man, he helped change the culture. He's tough. I mean, over the middle, not many people take harder hits and pop right back up than Jarvis. Um, my thoughts on Landry, I think that he is probably more valuable than some of some of the detractors say. Um, I'm not going to say that he's necessarily worth like a huge contract, but I think that mm-hmm. it was kind of a tough situation. And I think it, he's kind of been in a tough situation his entire career, honestly, where he's he's always been kind of relied on to be like the number one guy when it comes to targets on his team consistently. And he's just not that type of player that should be in that position. You know, he's not, he's not an OBJ. He's not a a DeAndre Hopkins or a Julio Jones or an AJ green. You know, he's just not that type of guy. It's, it's just the reality of it. And he, he's a complimentary player. Um, I think that he is, he's a solid number two. I also think Higgins actually is a solid number two type player as well. Um, I think that they're both, good complimentary receivers. Um, but with Landry, I'm excited to see him with OBJ because I don't think he's been with a receiver, anything close to that. You know, like he played with Kenny Stills in, in Miami and <laughs> Stills is a very good, I thought he was a good deep threat, like especially early in his career, but we don't really hear much about him because he's played with Tannehill in Miami. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think that playing with OBJ is going to tell us a lot about Landry and his value. There's going to be a lot more, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot more opportunities that open up for him and 
there's going to be obviously one more year of chemistry between him and, and Baker. It seemed like there was definitely like an adjustment period last year with him mm-hmm. catching the ball from Baker after catching it from Ty, Tyrod so much. We saw some of those drops early on where it just looked like he wasn't expecting the ball to get on him so quick. Um, yeah. So I would, I would imagine like there won't be any of the, those hiccups this, this year with him being used to throwing with Mayfield so much more and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a fan of him as a complimentary guy. I think the contract's tough. Um, I do expect him to be in Cleveland past next offseason. I know that a lot of people expect them to move on from him, but I think that there's a lot of other contracts on the team for kind of like solid or middling veteran players. that They can get out of those contracts a lot easier or or yeah. they're, they're going to want to get out of those contracts quicker than mm-hmm. they will Landry. So I expect Landry to be around for a while. Um, I'm excited to see him with OBJ and with all these other weapons. Uh, I actually think like we haven't even talked about the running backs at all, but I think that once Kareem Hunt <laughs> comes back, I mean, that that's such a dynamic weapon out of the backfield as a receiver. I would say that like, he's not in the top, top echelon of like route runners at the running back position, but I would say that he's right under that. And his running ability is neck and neck with Nick Chubb. I would say that there's probably certain running schemes that each of them does better than the other, but they're both two of the top runners in the NFL. So um, I think that like the offense will especially open up later, late in the season. It's going to be really tough to key on just one guy with all the, all the weapons that they have and the ability of the quarterback to spread it around. I want to hear your thoughts on the D line and what they did this off season. And if there's anything else they still need to do and, Kind of your favorite thing that you think this Browns D-line can do this year, your favorite uh, ads? Yeah, so I, I feel really good about the group at this point. Um, I think adding Sheldon Richardson and Olivier Vernon were huge pickups. Uh, they clearly feel better about the defensive line depth than uh, you know the fan base does in the media, so that we'll see on that. I'm not quite as high on the defensive tackle depth especially, but but with them – you know, not bringing anybody in. It seemed like they did try for Gerald McCoy, but maybe he was just a little bit too expensive. I'm not sure exactly how that went, but yeah, um, yeah I mean, they're going to need those guys to stay healthy um, on the interior, especially. I'm a huge fan of Jannard Avery. I think that he has a very, very promising future in the league as a, as an edge rusher, and mm-hmm. the Browns can do some really creative things on third downs. You know, third and long sub packages uh, with playing Avery on the edge. Garrett's ability to move inside, you know, rush against a guard or even against the center, have Richardson still in there, and then also have Vernon coming off the opposite edge. You you have a lot more guys that can defeat blocks now, which was something that they did not have last year. You know, they had Garrett, and then Ogunjobi was, like, very inconsistent in my opinion. I don't think that he is nearly the pass rusher uh, on a down-to-down basis that a lot of people think he is. And I know that he played a lot of snaps last year, but that – is not the best excuse because a lot of the other defensive tackles that played a ton of snaps like he did, um, a lot of those guys graded a lot better for us to PFF. So it's not really a great excuse, honestly, although I will say that he shouldn't play that many snaps again, obviously. And I think that he probably got kind of burnt out early in the season, especially because he was playing so many snaps just like the first six weeks of the season. But yeah, I think that they have a very uh, promising group up front and, and a, guy, a lot of guys that can defeat blocks now, which is the key. And I hope that those guys attracting more attention helps Hogan Joby take his, take his game to the next level. Um, I, I think that it'll definitely help Garrett take his game to the next level. 
And um, as far as additions, I mean, I kind of already touched on the best ones. I, th- I think, uh, I mean, I'm definitely interested to see, like it wasn't an addition this offseason, but I'm, I'm interested to see how Chad Thomas does this year because I know that they yeah. were they were viewing him as a player that could play on the edge, defend the run at a high level, hopefully. That was what their hopes were when he came in. And then I think on pass downs, they were hoping that he could be the type of player that would slide in and, and rush as an interior rusher on pass downs. That was what uh, someone you know, close to the situation told me around the time that they drafted him. Uh, so we'll see if he can become that player this year. But I definitely think that you know adding the players that they did helped the group from a depth standpoint. And, and something that I'm interested to see um, is how much Garrett plays on, I'll say the defensive left, you know, so going against right tackles and how often Vernon moves to the other side and goes against left tackles because most of Vernon's career, he's played on that side going against left tackles. And if you look at Garrett's numbers, it was a small sample size. I think it was around 50 or 70 rushes last year, but he actually had the highest pass rush productivity in the entire NFL, I believe rushing from the defensive left against right tackles and that small sample size. So I'm going to be interested to see how much he plays on that side. Cause he is a big sturdy defensive end. And uh, you know, that's the type that people a lot of, or defensive coordinators a lot of times like to put on the defensive left and uh, and honestly having him feast on right tackles, which, some teams are catching on now and putting good pass protectors at right tackle, but it's just not at the level of left tackle yet. And uh, teams are still kind of behind with having that that road grading right tackle and having the pa- the great pass protector at left tackle, even though you should have great pass protectors on both edges. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think putting Garrett against those right tackles week to week, that, that could be a, a great thing. And, and if you look around the league, you know, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, and others – those guys have been primarily going against right tackles a lot of the time during their career. So that's, it's kind of a new thing with NFL defenses. So that's definitely something that I'll, I'll be keeping my, my eye on this year. And, and I think that what's likely to happen, uh, not to ramble too much, but I think what's likely to happen is that they're probably, they're probably going to move those guys around and just have, you know, one week, if a guy is uh, worse against the squattier type, the, guy that's a little bit uh you know if they want to put i'll say like garrett and vernon this is just a simplified garrett and vernon have different skill sets so they can mix and match and have them play against players that have weaknesses that they should do well against week to week so they can move those guys back and forth and kind of create mismatches against the offensive linemen since offensive linemen don't move just kind of want to hear what you feel about you know, Joe Schobert and his, his contract extension or not, and Kirksey and his expensive contract and all the draft picks. and. Yeah, um, so I'm a big fan of Joe Schobert. I think that the defense that he was, you know, playing in under Greg Williams was pretty tough for him, especially they played a lot of Tampa too. He, that, that means that he's responsible for the deep middle, covering the seam, uh, running with anything that's, you know, down the middle of the field between the hashes. 
as well as being responsible for a gap. And a lot of times the way that they would do it, they wouldn't disguise it at all. He would line up deeper than the other linebackers on the field. So you could tell pre-snap if they were going to run Tampa two a lot of times. And so that allowed quarterbacks to tee off on them sometimes. I remember that that was a big reason that they lost the game against the Raiders because they would just line up in whatever coverage they were going to run. And Derek Carr kind of picked them apart at times in that game. Um, but I'm a big fan of Joe Schobert. I think he's one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Yeah. I think as a run defender, he's still progressing. You know, he, people forget that he played such a different position in college, and even into his first year in the NFL, he was he was an edge rusher in a three four under Ray Horton, and that was nothing like what he transitioned to now, where he's playing off the ball as a Mike linebacker and and more of the, you know, not I won't say four three because it's so much sub package now in the NFL, but just you know, playing as an off-ball linebacker at the mic. Um, I'm a big fan of his game. I think that there were times where he was having to uh, do more than his role maybe asked him to do just because the players around him were in the wrong spot so often, whether it was, you know, defensive linemen, whether it was the other outside, li- the outside linebackers around him. I think that there was just a lot of guys in the wrong spots at times playing the wrong technique especially in underneath coverage and in the run game. And that, that led to Schobert trying to cut, uh, cover that stuff up. And he's just such a great athlete that he can do that. But, but it also leads to sometimes, you know, he's so athletic, he can get in those, those positions to miss tackles. Uh, you know, I think he led all linebackers in missed tackles last year. Uh, and I think a lot of that was, he can get into spots that other guys can't get into, honestly, because he's such a good athlete. Um, I'm not saying that he doesn't need to improve in that area. I think he absolutely does. But I think that sometimes that can come from other guys not understanding the leverage that they need to play with on a, on a given play. And sometimes those guys are in the wrong spot, and it leads to Schobert having to make a tougher tackle in space than he should be asked to do. Um, I also think that once he went out with that injury and came back, he wasn't the same player. He, you could tell that he wasn't running the same way and he was playing hurt. I think that was pretty clear. Um, as far as Kirksey, I think he regressed in a huge way under Greg Williams. Uh, you know, early in his career, I really liked what he did as a coverage linebacker. And I thought that he was really developing, defending the run as well. Uh, the past, two years he's just taken significant or taken significant steps backwards especially last season he was basically unplayable last year I felt uh, his grades were really really poor across the board for us and he you know he might have been playing with an injury I'm not sure exactly how it was going but you know we all know that he went out you know I think in the Chiefs game he was out for the rest of the season uh, so he needs a bounce back year if he wants to stay in Cleveland because I think this is basically a contract year for him and I yeah. think that it's unlikely that he'll be in Cleveland past, past this upcoming year. Um, and, and you also asked about Schobert's contract, so I'll just cover that really quick. I think that re-signing him should be a priority. I actually think that re-signing Schobert should be more of a priority than Randall at this point. Um, yeah. that, that might sound crazy you know, after this upcoming season. Who knows how both guys will play in this new defense, but I do think that Schobert is uh, probably a more valuable asset and I think that what he brings at middle linebacker as a coverage player especially is is unique and should be coveted so they should want to keep him um I think I've thought from the beginning I know that in OTAs uh Jake Burns my friend 
I mean, we all know him now, but from Cleveland.com, he told me that, you know, Taki Taki had been playing more at Mike and uh, Boylston had been playing more at Will, which actually is the opposite of what I expected coming in. But uh, I think they'll both probably learn each position. They probably want those guys to be versatile, be able to move around in case of injury. Uh, but I thought that when Kirksey announced Taki Taki at the draft, I thought that he was announcing his replacement, honestly, because Taki Taki, you watch him at, at BYU this past season, he played a lot of uh, Will linebacker. And yeah. he, that's, yeah. you know, he was playing like basically half inside the box, half outside the box. So he was responsible for like a lot of times, like covering a slot receiver, sometimes dropping into coverage. Uh, you know, defending wheel routes sometimes as well as having a run fit in the box. So he was he was in a position where he had to be a very good he had to be an athlete and, and he is a really good athlete. And I think that the missed tackles thing with Schobert also applies to Taki Taki, where he's such a good athlete that he can get him himself into positions that other guys can't. And sometimes those type players have trouble making those tackles because they're in space and it's such a tough situation sometimes, but he is another player that needs to improve as a tackler. Um, but I think that there was, he shows significant, like huge impressive flashes of physicality in the run game, especially. Um, and then also like what he showed in coverage in his first year playing off the ball last year was really impressive. I thought um, I'm much higher on him than Mac Wilson. I think early on, both guys will be, primarily special teams players. Uh, I expect a Darius Taylor to probably be the Sam linebacker when they're in, you know, when they're, they're in their base four to three personnel, so to speak, but that's only going to be probably 25% of the time at most. I don't even know if it'll be close to that much since uh, considering Wilkes played nickel and sub packages over 90% of the time last year mm -hmm. with Arizona. So yeah. I don't think that it'll be anything like what we've seen the past two years with Greg Williams, where he was in four, three so much. And it just led to so many situations where slot receivers were tor uh, torching, you know, linebackers and, and the underneath coverage. And I think with Mac Wilson, uh, you kind of alluded to it, but I think he's an underachiever to this point in his career, obviously a physically talented player, but I, I question the instincts all around and I don't think he's consistent at all. And, and there's a lot to prove there. Uh, I don't, I don't see him as being like the future starter that other people think, but hopefully he proves me wrong. Uh, if I was to guess who the starting inside linebackers are going to be in 2020, um, I would hope that it's Schobert and Taki Taki. Uh, Schobert at Mike and Taki Taki at Will, but you know that remains to be seen, and it's a long way away, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. Hopefully, Mac Wilson can prove us all wrong that think he is um, underachieving, but you know, and until then, we just wait and see. And but with the other group, I want to talk about is. Greedy and Ward and the rest of the defensive back gang. Um, you know, I don't think many people found uh, as late as he was projected. First round was PFF pre-reach coverage, as you already said. And what, to you, what is the importance of getting a guy like Greedy Williams to pair alongside a Denzel Ward? Or do you think that they're not very compatible or just your thoughts? Oh, I think that it's it's a great tandem because they have completely different body types. And that's that's really important because you want to have different 
types of defensive backs and corners that can go up against these diverse wide receiver groups that we see on Sundays. Um, I mean, just think about, for example, a team that comes to mind with a really good group when they're all healthy is Houston. So DeAndre Hopkins, a big bodied guy. Uh, I mean, he's probably, I would say right now, the most dominant receiver in the NFL. He had the highest uh, war wins above replacement last year of any non quarterback in the league, actually, which is really a pretty crazy stat because most people wouldn't think of him that way. Um, but then opposite him, you've got Will Fuller, who's a great deep threat. And then you've also in the slot, you've got Kiki QT. So you need defensive backs that can match all three of those guys. So Fuller, you need someone maybe like Ward that can, you know, match his deep threat or his speed as a deep threat. That's that speed that can take over a game. You know, he could come away with three touchdowns in a given game. If teams are just focusing all their attention on Hopkins and forgetting to put a corner that can match Fuller on him. And then with uh, with Hopkins, I mean, Greedy matches up well with him from a size standpoint, but maybe you give him some help too. You know, in that game last year, we saw them put, I think TJ Carey was on DeAndre Hopkins, the vast majority of that game actually, and they put Ward on the other side. So Ward was covering the number two, which is what we saw a lot of times last year. And that also happened in the uh, in the Atlanta Falcons game. That might actually be the game I'm thinking of, but I know that there were times last year where they have Ward covered the number two to take him out of the game, and then they put their other corner, so Carey and other, other times last year it was Mitchell. They put him on the number one and give him help almost every snap. So that allows you to shut down the number two and also hopefully shut down the number one guy because you're basically doubling him. And then you also need a player that's versatile enough and quick enough to cover. If you're covering Houston, for example, Kiki QT in the slot, who is very tough cover one-on-one in space, a very quick player and a very, like an upcoming player, I would say in the NFL at this point, he's going to be probably one of the best slot receivers in the NFL this upcoming season, I would say. So that's just an example of the type of, defensive back group that you want to have you don't want to have a bunch of guys that all have the same type skill set and all of them are only good at covering like as outside corners or only good at covering inside um you also don't want to have a bunch of short guys you don't want to have a bunch of tall guys that have trouble changing direction so i really like the group that they've put together uh so far I probably would have honestly added another veteran that had inside out versatility, but that's just because I'm never satisfied with the group. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think that you should try to get five playable solid corners at the very least, because you just never know with injuries. There were times last year where I think Ward went out, Mitchell was out. And I mean, in that mm-hmm. chiefs game, they, they were playing guys we did, we had never even heard of. Um, yeah. so it's just really yeah. important to have that versatility. Um, I think that I think that uh, another thing is like Greedy and Mitchell, those two don't have quite as much versatility when it comes to playing inside and outside. But thankfully, that's where Ward and Carey can make up for that because they can both play inside or outside. So I really like the cornerback group. And then as far as uh, the safeties, it's very interesting because Jermaine Whitehead has actually stepped up and he looks like he's probably going to be the starter at strong safety. Uh, I'm excited about the things that they're doing in in OTAs right now with playing more big nickel packages. I was hoping that they would do that this upcoming season, but I just wondered if they had the personnel for it. So when they do that, he's coming down and he's covering uh, in the slot sometimes. So if you face like a bigger, more physical slot receiver, like for example, Larry Fitzgerald has been that type of player. 
the past few years for Arizona where he's not he's not the quick shifty type, but he's he's a very physical slot receiver and maybe it's better that week when you face those guys to play Whitehead more covering the slot if he can if he can hang because you want someone that can hang with that physicality. So it's just really important to have a diverse uh, defensive back group. And I think that the Browns have that at this point. And I'm just excited to see uh, the safeties not playing so deep anymore because that was something that definitely bugged me the past two years. And I thought that uh, sometimes with their alignment and with the depth that they played with, there was – there was just very little disguising going on in the secondary, as I kind of alluded to with mentioning the Oakland game. Yeah. And I think that that probably lost them a couple of games last year that they, they were, that were winnable and they should have won. So looking forward to seeing like Randall play close, a little closer to the line of scrimmage, but still playing as a single high free safety a lot. And, and he's another player too, that I'll mention, you know, when they played Tampa Bay last year, he, he was the guy that matched Mike Evans. They put him at corner because he played corner in Green Bay, and he has that that uh, that ability. So if there's times where they want to play Burnett as the as the free safety in the middle of the field, or or Eric Murray, who's another versatile defensive back that I like that has experience playing corner, nickel, both safety spots, and he's also a good special teamer. Um, you know they can play him deep, bring Randall down to cover a slot receiver or cover an outside guy. Uh, they just have a lot of a lot of uh, versatile talent in the defensive back group. Um, one more yeah. player that I'll, I'll touch on a little bit because I know that you asked me about him prior to the podcast is uh, is Redwine, uh, Sheldrick Redwine from Miami. I think, uh, you know, I think that he's going to definitely be all over the Browns special teams this year. He's probably going to be the fifth safety, honestly, because you think Randall, Whitehead, Burnett, Murray. I think. You know, with Murray being able to play both spots, he'll probably be depth at both safety spots. So Redwine, unless there's a lot of injuries, I think that it's it's unlikely he'll really see the field a ton on defense, but but he'll make an immediate impact on special teams. And hopefully long term he can develop into a player that gets into that top, you know, that top three safeties or or even becomes a starter over time and uh, he's a very good athlete. He showed flashes, I think, playing deep and playing closer to the line of scrimmage in college. So there's some versatility there as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops, but I don't really expect a ton from him in 2019 or 2020. You know, pick up the offseason could benefit the Browns in a major way. You know, unless you have anything else specific you want to talk about, I think I covered everything. Yeah, man, I'm good. Um, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to the next time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, thank you so much for coming on. It was, uh, it was a lot of great insight that I think not only me, but uh, listeners will love to, li- love to be able to digest and take into consideration. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Thank you for your time, and uh, take care. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Thank you again, Brendan.